So Alex, I think this story starts with when we were developing the idea for our podcast. We wanted to share those special moments that we feel really bring out the deeply human side of being a doctor, the art of medicine. Right. So I was talking with my mom about her idea, and she told me about this one patient she has. After I heard the story, I knew we had to share it. So we reached out to the patient, and then we got this email. He writes, "Hi, Alex. Let's, Let's just, just get this straight right from the jump. Listen carefully. Your mom saved my life. When do you want to meet?" On this podcast, we share stories about the art of medicine, times that show how the role of a physician reaches beyond the science of diagnoses, tests, and procedures. These stories show us how the rapport doctors and patients build with one another lead to care that is more satisfying for physicians and leads to happier, healthier patients. Every few weeks, we bring together a doctor and a patient and ask them to share their story. This week, we have Dr. Amy Chang. My mom, who is a private practice dermatologist of 14 years, and her patient, Jed Sutter, a physician assistant. I'm Viknesh Kasturi, and I'm Alex Homer, and this is Back of the Chart. Jed's primary care doctor saw that he had a lot of moles and freckles, so he referred him to New England Medical Center. Dr. Chang was a new dermatology attending. Uh, she always seemed to have nice, well-lit rooms in the corner with decent views. And, you know, you'd get ushered into the room and the person bringing you in would tell you to get into Johnny. And it's a little nerve-wracking to be completely unclothed, but you're there for your skin. So, you know, the doctor's got to see it. And you sit expectantly and think about the reasons you came. So what I remember about our interaction is, is that I think that I was very early in my career as an academic attending, and that oftentimes when we came in the room, there was like the medical student who saw you, and then the resident that saw you, and then I come in with the team. And even though I was attending, I felt like that there was still a lot that I had to learn to become a good physician. But at the same time, I was the person in the room that was quote unquote in charge. Over the course of a few years, Jed periodically saw Dr. Chang. There were a few bumps here or there that he had removed, but nothing too serious. Dr. Chang ended all of her visits by asking a simple question. She would ask me, is there anything else that's bothering you? And one day I said, well, there's this itchy bump in the middle of my chest. I hadn't been thinking about it at all. I don't remember the rest of the visit. I just remember saying, well, yeah, there's this itchy bump in the center of my chest. It felt this big, you know, on my. It felt about the size of a grapefruit, but um, <laughs> it, no, it honestly wasn't. It was, it was teeny. It was the size of a lentil, maybe. Doctor Chang decided it was worth a look. Right. I was standing there. I remember standing there with all the people behind me and thinking, okay, it's a, it's a tiny little spot. It's probably nothing. But obviously, something in his day-to-day -day, uh, life is uh, drawing him to this spot. And I had a choice of, you know, just reassuring him that it is nothing, even though, you know, I am not 100% that it is nothing, or do a diagnostic test. And we were deciding sort of at that point, like, what we wanted to do with it. And a lot of things go through your mind very quickly, which is, one, what is my level of suspicion? 
Two, what is the patient telling me? Three is the location. Because if this was on his nose, I might say, hey, I really think this is nothing. And we could either watch it or we could, you know, do a definitive test and see what it is, but you might end up with a little divot on your nose. Luckily, it was on his chest, and he was more than happy to part with four millimeters of your skin for that diagnostic test. So in a way, it, it made it easy. But at that time, I felt like that it was just like Jed and I, and we're working like a team, and we're trying to decide what the next step would be the best for him. I remember mentioning it, and she took a look at it, and the way I recall, she said, well, it's probably nothing, but why don't we take it off and send it to the lab? So she uh, prepped the area with um, alcohol and put a little nummy medicine in there, and then she took this uh, razor blade and curved it into a, a tiny little parasail and just ran it across my skin and took off this tiniest sliver of nothing barely visible on the on the razor itself and put a band-aid on it and sent me on my way said i'll you know we'll call you in a week i really felt like that this was going to be fine you know i didn't really think much of it uh, at the time and didn't give it more thought before i received a call a week later you know, I'd had a bunch of bumps that she'd said are nothing and some that she'd said are this or that, but nothing ever really to worry about. And usually, you know, the call comes from one of the medical assistants or one of the nurses in the clinic. And, you know, I'd always said, you can leave a voicemail, just, you know, let me know what it was. And I'm going about my business. Well, I got a call and I got a call from Dr. Chang herself, which immediately put me on edge. And... Uh, she said, Jed, I, I have to tell you that thing in the center of your chest that we thought was nothing wasn't nothing at all. Uh, it was a, something called an amelanotic melanoma. So melanin is the pigment in your skin. That's what gives it its color. And when the cells that produce melanin go rogue, then you get a cancer called a melanoma. Now what Jed had is an amelanotic melanoma, which means that it's not colored, which makes it really hard to detect. These rare cancers, they can look like a tiny scar or even acne. Yeah, and the thing is, they're more dangerous. People diagnosed with amelanotic melanomas are more than twice as likely to die within five years. So what happens next is that Dr. Chang refers Jed to a surgeon who specializes in getting rid of skin cancers. And so Jed calls his office and schedules an appointment, and then he goes there by himself. What I recall of the visit is not necessarily what happened, but that's what I recall, and that's why it's important for patients receiving bad news to have somebody else listening. Because as I recall, Dr. Lee told me that the biopsy that Dr. Chang had taken, the little tiny sliver of skin, was 0.9 millimeters thick, so a little less thick than a dime. And if the actual melanoma, which we didn't recover all of because there were cancer cells at the bottom of this slice when they did the pathology, if it was 1.4 millimeters thick, 
my five-year survival expectancy was 50% from a, a bump that was just itchy. And it kind of gets me verklempt even now. Um, but, uh, you know, that's where somebody else listening to the news or the information is valuable. And because I wasn't in any condition to take notes, just listening to this. Jed had a procedure called a sentinel lymph node biopsy, in which a surgeon injects radioactive contrast where the cancer was located, in this case, Jed's chest, and then follows it to the nearest lymph node. And lymph nodes are part of the drainage system of the body, right, Alex? Yeah, exactly. The lymphatic system. The point is, is that if we see where the tracer goes, we might have a good idea of where the cancer could have spread. And then the surgeon can remove those lymph nodes and check them for cancer cells. Uh, I decided to go ahead with surgery. Now, mind you, this was a tiny little lentil size, nothing bump. And when I came out of surgery, I had a hole in my chest that was five inches wide and down to the sternum and a shape that's a lot like um, a mango pit. Surgery resulted in them taking that big chunk of tissue and, and sending it to the lab. And they said at the end that um, there weren't any cancer cells left in that area that they could find, which always made me wonder um, how Dr. Chang could have cleaved the skin between cancer cells and non-cancer cells. I don't know. I never will. It doesn't matter because they didn't find anything. But it's just, it's one of those, you know, a hair's breadth away from really bad consequences that makes this so remarkable. Just, you know, an itchy bump that I thought of at the last second that she thought enough of to take off. And who knows who would have noticed it, right? I'm not sure another doctor would have or done anything about it. She saved my life. It must take a really, really big zit to kill a man. Oh, I've worked in an ICU for 12 years. You know how many times a, a, a dermatologist has darkened the door of the unit? <laughs> it's, you know, it's a very rare thing. You know, I, I mentioned to um, them about Seinfeld, and they have no idea what that was. So sad. Yes. You call yourself Lifesaver? I call you Pimple Popper, MD! <laughs> Mr. Perry, how are you? I just want to thank you again for saving my life. She saved your life? I had skin cancer. Skin cancer? I don't feel like, honestly, that I saved Jed's life. I'm happy and grateful that he says that. Every time she comes into the exam room, when I see her um, periodically, and she has a new scribe or a new medical assistant, I'm like, yeah, she saved my life. Yeah, so when he says that, I honestly, I have goosebumps. I really, I, I just feel like that, um, I'm glad that, that that moment is actually what my parents taught me, which is is that, you know, you're just going into it honestly trying to help somebody and that you're just making a decision 
because you're trying to figure out what's the best way to help them. And that's all that I felt like I did that day. Like I tell all my kids, which is, is that I hope you find a profession where you feel like that you're making a difference and that you're happy going to your job every day. And honestly, that I feel very grateful that I I am very happy with my job and I feel like that I'm very lucky to have patients like Jed. And I, and I understand that she didn't look at this um, bump in the center of my chest and say, I'm going to knock this patient's socks off and I'm going to save him from the brink and pull him back from the moving train. I was trying. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a thing that was um, uh, intentional. She took it off intentionally, but it was accidental as well because it wasn't it wasn't thought of by anybody in the room to be something that could have killed me. And it was something that could have killed me. So, you know, I'll take that. And maybe next time I'll tell your um, medical assistant, Dr. Chang accidentally saved my life. I like that But that's better. not really as good. Well, you know that you did save a lot of other people's lives because, because of you, every time somebody, like, mentions a pink bump, I think Jed... And I'm like, I gotta take that off. Well, that's part. That's part of my my karma, because you know I've had a, a number of different cancers, and I, I feel it's part of my lot in life to keep my loved ones safe, and so I take the hits. Speaking of taking the hits, Jed tells us about a time when his doctor maybe didn't listen to what he had to say. A few years ago, a nurse noticed blood in his urine sample. One thing led to another, and he needed his bladder removed, and a new one made from his bowel. In the aftermath of the surgery, I went into a fast, irregular heart rhythm called atrial fibrillation. Um, I'd done this before, and I was on medications for it. The hospital alarm went off, and the, the team ran into the room, and uh, my heart rate was going in the 170s to 180s, and uh, they opened up the box with all the medications in it, and I said, well, whatever you do, don't give me diltiazem, which is frequently used when people have atrial fibrillation. I told them when I've had this in the past, it's dropped my blood pressure way too far, and they proceeded to get out the diltiazem and give it to me IV. And I had a really huge drop in my blood pressure. Uh, started getting chest pain because my heart rate was still fast and I wasn't getting the, the blood supply I needed to the heart muscle. And so they got out the paddles and they shocked me because I was now unstable. I wasn't unstable before, but they'd helped me become unstable uh, by not listening to me because I was I was on the wrong side of the Johnny. At one point, Jed had to change his insurance, which didn't allow him to see Dr. Chang. This was... Uh, what, 10 years ago? I did change jobs, and I my insurance no longer allowed me to see Dr. Chang, so I was seeing somebody else. And then 
the light rays come out from behind the cloud and the <laughs> and the heavenly music comes into the scene and Dr. Chang's picture is up in the dermatology office and I say to this other doctor, sorry, I'm done. And so I get to see Dr. Chang again. You're so awesome. I'll take you everywhere. <laughs> no, but I would say that um I think that's the reason why a lot of times people say, well, why why are your kids going into medicine? Because medicine is um, changing and it's a lot of uh, paperwork and there's a lot of bureaucracy and the government's controlling you and the insurance is controlling you. But I do think that it is one of those careers where really every day you get to make a difference or you have a chance to make a difference in somebody's life. And the interesting thing that you've taught me is is that um, you never know when you're going to make a difference and that I'm glad that I made the right decision on that day. Me too. Looking back, I'm very grateful for all those mentors that I have, but I'm also very grateful for all the patients like Jed who has taught me along the way um, because I feel like nowadays I learn more from my patients than actually from journals. I don't know if you feel the same way. Absolutely. I think that you need to go in the room just thinking that tell me what your problem is and um, I'm going to try to figure out a way to help you. And maybe I won't, um, but I will try. And and I think that that's the most important. And I think you have to remember that every patient comes to you for different reasons. Some people, you know, just like your friends, they're not asking you to solve their problem. They just want a listening ear and somebody who sort of like listen to the way that you present a story and tell you that it's okay, this thing is benign. I have patients who come back and, you know, maybe that visit is just because like their husband of 50 years passed away and they they just needed me to, you know, listen uh, to them or maybe they just want a hug or... You know, I have people who have seen uh, other physicians for a very simple problem, and all they want is just a diagnosis. They're not really asking me to cure them or fix their problem. They just want to hear that they're normal and that what they have is has been described. So I sort of go with that in mind. I, I think every morning when I go to work, I think I have 30 chances to make a difference and maybe I only make a difference in one person, but I feel like that's something that is uh, very gratifying to me. Thank you again so much to both of you for your time. I really appreciate it. And to everyone listening, if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, We'll be releasing more episodes shortly.